I don't know. I, it's just what I do. I don't know. It's really hard to explain when people when I meet people on the street, or even when people email me and say that we you know we've seen your work, we appreciate it. It's almost surreal. It's like, are you serious? You really you really understand my work? Because when I created all of the bodies of work, really mainly my, my my work from Brooklyn, I just figured that people from Brooklyn could see it and appreciate it. You know, people from other cities and other countries, it kind of like surprised me. Hello listeners and viewers, this is Warren Wade Anderson. Welcome to the 84th episode of Inside the Phoenix. This week's guest is photographer Jamal Shabazz. Mr. Shabazz is well known for documenting an era in New York City history that no longer exists. A time which includes the crack epidemic and Brian De Palma's Scarface. My interviewing partner Marcus Penn and I sat down with him and explored the philosophy and influences behind his images. Before we get back to our conversation, I want to let the podcast listeners know that you can watch the video version of this episode at InsideThePhoenix.com. You'll get to see Jamal and his photographs on our brand new website. If you have any questions about this or any other show in the series, please email me, Warren at InsideThePhoenix.com. Let's rejoin our conversation with Mr. Shabazz. At this point, I asked him about his father. My father went in the Navy at 17, and his, uh, his specialty was photography, documentary photography. So at, from 17 to uh, 23, he was in the, in the Navy and Intrepid, where he learned the craft. And then when he got out of the Navy, he continued on you know, as a uh, freelance photographer. Now, when you say documentary, what do you mean? Documenting for the Navy? Yes, yes. Okay. He was trained in, in the Navy School of Photography. And his, his uh, objective, his, his task was to document everyday Navy life. So all the ati- activity that took place on the ship and different port stops, he recorded. What did your mom do? She was a nurse. She was She's a, nurse. a registered nurse. Okay. What, what is it that you learned from your father in regards to photography he had a a lot of photography books in the house and a lot of art books so as a child i just embraced all of the books in his library unbeknownst to him when he wasn't around i would just study his books you know and uh one of the books was black and white america by leonard freed and that that book was very unique because it was signed on the table so unlike the books that were in our war unit in the library Mm -hmm. that book was on the table and i was about nine years old when i picked it up and I was just blown away, you know, with the images in that particular book. It's like, wow, you know, in this book, there's photographs of people who look like me in communities outside of my project in Brooklyn, in addition to his other photography books. Like even with Playboy magazine, I tell people all the time, in, in the beginning, I was a little apprehensive to talk about it because uh, some might misinterpret me looking at Playboy magazine. But as I revisited a, a lot of those publications, it was through Playboy I learned about Malcolm X for the first time in an interview that he did with Alex Haley, in addition to uh, Lincoln Rockwell, you know, of the American Nazi Party, and Martin Luther King. Prior to that, I didn't have any knowledge of him. So I'm a young child reading Playboy magazine. What do you know at nine to look at the nudity, but at the same time, subconsciously, I'm seeing composition and lighting and things of that nature. But Playboy introduced me to a whole world also. So between Playboy and uh, Black and White America by Leonard Freed and all of the publications that came in on the regular from Life magazine, National Geographic, my mind was constantly being fed right within the confines of my home. All right. So Black and White America. What did that book you think meant to your father? That's a good question. You know, we never had an opportunity to talk about that book. And uh, and that's one of my regrets. You know, the book was signed. It was on the coffee table. So it allowed me to, to feel that he knew the photographer Leonard Freed. 
When I researched Leonard Freed, I found out that he did live in Flatbush. And he was born the same year as my father. So I was wondering if they ever crossed paths. When I met uh, Bridget Freed, Leonard's wife, I tried to find out more about it. My mother didn't know. So it was always a mystery. Yeah. Only thing I know is that that book was signed. It, was on, it wasn't personalized. It was just his basic signature, but it was on the table. And I, I never knew. But, I, you know, I, I, I would say that it, it, it taught him documentary photography and appreciation for black and white photography. So when, when, was that, when was that book published? In 1968, 1969. 1968. But he had been out of the Army. He was out of the military, military at that point. For, and at that time, he was uh, striving to establish himself in the craft, you know, trying to, trying to partner with a person to have a studio, oh. to have a business going. So apparently he was connected with the photography circle, you know. Do you... Did he go to school for photography? Other than the Navy school. He didn't, he, he didn't have any additional training. The Navy school at that time had one of the best photography schools in all of the branches of the military. Do you think that he had some regrets that he didn't go to photography school? I don't think so. I think that what he learned in the Navy was sufficient because he had an opportunity to travel the world. And he was in a position to photograph diversity because in the Navy it was a predominantly white institution. So as a black 17-year-old kid being a photographer in a time when a lot of blacks were put into uh, support type roles like cooks yes. and things of that nature. It's like, it always uh, amazing. Like how, how was you able to get in the Navy at 17 and become, become a photographer, an occupation that is pretty much uh, put to the side for a lot of whites. So yes. we never had a chance to talk about that either, you know, but he was able mm. to actually do it successfully, su successfully for those six years he was in. So that, that particular book, what does it mean to you now? Oh, what it means to me is I revisited that book and I read it again. You know, I saw myself in it because when you open up the book, the front page, the front cover, there's no image. But when you open up the first book, the first page is a, is a black soldier about 19 years old stationed in Germany in 1960, I believe. And what's so ironic about that and why that image moved me. And I would find out later on from Bridget Freed, uh, Leonard Freed's wife. You know, you have a black soldier protecting freedom in Germany, but they weren't granted freedom in America. And the way that image is, you have the black soldier in the foreground, the back, you have a white soldier. So that started to make me think. And the fact that all of my uncles were in the military and a lot of them were stationed in Germany, I saw them in the face of the black soldier. And then later on, I will become a black soldier in Germany. That book and your father, you're living in Flat, Flat, Flatbush. Area. At that time, I was living in Red Hook. You were living and then in we Red moved Hook. to Red right. Hook, you know, in 75, 74. So at that time, you're living in the projects. Your view of life through your father and the books that he was reading yes. set you, I'm just sort of guessing here, set you apart from oh, yeah. your contemporaries. Definitely. They probably made fun of you. No, I'm not going to say that. Later on, they, they challenged me, you know, in my right. teens. But at that point, in my single digits, no. Because I went okay. to Catholic school. So in a sense... I was I was in oh, par so with were, everyone else. So you were further removed. <laughs> yes, exactly, to a degree. Okay, so you were you were beginning to see yourself in a larger world. Yes. at a very young age. Yes, yes, indeed. Which your contemporaries probably didn't get to. Right, I would have agree. that experience. Uh, yes. How 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 do you think how much of that experience that those formative years inform your sort of fortitude? Because I know your mom was probably a nurse. You probably worked double shifts yes. and many shifts. So you probably got your work ethic from that, too. Right. The compassion and, and, and the, the desire to work hard came from her, yes. But what, with my father, with his books, I fell in love with knowledge. And when I would go through all of his books, then I would go to the library. 
So I spent a lot of time in our local library looking at more photography books. I got deep into the war in Vietnam because at that time the war was going on and Life magazine was always featuring what was happening in Vietnam. So I became very in tune with that war. And even when soldiers in my community went to war and when some died, it really resonated with me. So that helped me to understand the power of, of, of the, it made me see war. Cause with my father being in the Navy too, he was into war. You know, I mean, the first movie I saw with my father was the Green Beret, the very first movie. The John Wayne movie. And that was again in 1969. <laughs> so I'm learning about racism in 1969. And at the same time, I'm beginning to learn about the war that was going on in Vietnam through, through but, my father. And, and there's more going on because that's the very sort of, um, a lot of turmoils going on. Yes. Just, not only in the country, but especially here in New York. Yes. How did that influence you? I think going back to black and white America really introduced me to that because in that book, as I revisited, I saw the word nigger for the first time in my life. I remember looking at the book with my dictionary, trying to understand this new language. Like, what does nigger mean? What is the word racism? Because my parents never taught me about it. Black and White America wasn't only just a photography book. To me, it was a sociology book. It was a black history book. Mm -hmm. It had so much information. You know, things I weren't learning in school, I learned from that book. You know, so it, it, it developed my consciousness. And, and one of the photographs I vividly remember is a member of the Nation of Islam on 42nd Street holding a, a Muhammad Speaks speaking about we need justice. And I said, something's going on here. So it started to click in my head. At the same time, too, Muhammad Ali, you know, is, is, is making his introduction to me. You know, I'm going to Catholic school now, so you have Muhammad Ali about to fight Joe Frazier. And that was a big thing, because in Catholic school, I went to predominantly white school, you know, with Irish and Italian, and we had a handful of blacks from the community. But it became a big thing in terms of on Islam. You have this Muslim you know, who's fighting uh, Joe Frazier. So everyone in the school, for the most part, was going for uh, uh, Frazier. And that's when a lot of things start clicking in my mind. I want to know more about who this Muhammad Ali was. And at the same time, in my building in Red Hook, we had a family that were, were members of the Nation of Islam right on my floor. And that was interesting because one of the brothers was about maybe three years older than me. He became like a mentor to me. Right. And, and, and Elijah Muhammad was still alive at that time. They would go to the, to the temple and he would kind of like guide me and I would start to just see another world. And now I'm going to predominantly white school, but at the same time, you know, I'm trying to connect with, with, with who I am. Back, back in those days, we had Black Solidarity Day. And it was a very big day in November where you took off from school in public school. You wore your red, black, and green. It was a, a time of celebration. Me right. going to Catholic school, we didn't get the day off. So now I'm coming back from school and I'm seeing everybody with their red, black, and green. And I want to know more about that. So I start to like really gravitate into a sense of consciousness early on, wanting to know more about who I am. My parents didn't teach me. My father was conservative. My mother, she was, you know, she didn't really have any consciousness at that time. Could you think, as you look back on it, because I've noticed, like, it's not only black people from that time, but whites also from that time. You don't dwell on your problems. You move forward. And yes. they didn't want to sort of visit whatever injustices they felt on you. They wanted to give you the freedom. That's why they sent you to Catholic Right, school. exactly. Your point is well taken. They... they felt very hopeful at that time. Despite what was going on, we never spoke about Martin Luther King. We never spoke about the civil mm -hmm. rights movement. It was it's amazing to me that it was never discussion in my house. The wow. fact that it was unfolding on television. So, hold on, hold on, wait, wait. So when you would, Walter Cronkite would come on and they would talk about the demonstrations that were happening around the country and the coverage, they, your father never commented on it? He never commented on it. He, he was a solitude person. 
So it was never any t- uh, conversations at the table. Again, I go back to Black and White American Playboy magazine. Playboy magazine and Life magazine introduced me to all of those issues. That was the internet for me at that time. Do you have siblings? Yes, I do. Uh, I have an older sister and a younger brother. Oh, so you're the middle guy. Yeah. Did they go into the arts? My sister didn't. She went into law enforcement, and my brother is an artist, okay. photographer, a painter. I'm trying to find out some other things here, too. You know what? Before I move on, I'm just going to start with your photographs. Okay. This is the book back in the days. If you turn to, there's a tab there that says one. I, I think that's a mm. sort of a perfect image. And the, the, these guys are kind of posing in the, um, in the subway car. Yeah. It sort of dovetails into exactly what you were talking about, getting around that time, and a sense of self-esteem that was coming from Malcolm X, and, and a self- sense of uh, moral justice coming from Martin Luther King. The photographs you take, and this is in the subway, what year do what year you think this was? 81. 81. The, the subway car is all sort of beat up. This is before the, the cleaning of the subway hmm. cars. These guys are sort of, you know, they're wearing casual clothes, but they're well put together. And there's a sense of pride. I think that's the through line Mm. in your photography, that sense of pride and esteem. The time that the generation which I came up, see, we were greatly inspired by Roots. And what Roots did in 1977, it transformed so many of us. And we grew into a consciousness. We took back our pride and our dignity. And we became brothers. It really inspired a generation because everyone pretty much watched it. And from 1977 into the early 80s, there was a conscious movement going on. And we wanted to know more about who we were. So you find that a lot of young people, they in my photographs, you see the dignity and, and, and the confidence. And this is there and so much more. Before I move on to the next image, I want to ask about your first camera. Okay. Was it the 110 Kodak yes, Instamatic? Yes, why that? Well, it was, it was what was available at the time. My father had his equipment, which I didn't touch. You know, he had the Nikons and all the high-power stuff. My mother had the Instamatic that pretty much was just her camera she had around for, for parties and just social functions, like most families did. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't playing with, with his camera, so I took her camera. It was available. It only was used during uh, special occasions. It always had film in it. And the film was affordable, so I decided to use that. It was pretty a basic point-and-shoot camera, so it was pretty much easy to handle at that time at 15 years old. What, what did you learn from using that, ca- that camera? I learned how to see, you know, because prior to picking up the camera, I wasn't able to really see. When I put the viewfinder to my eye, I saw beauty. I saw the souls of people I was approaching. I saw something very special that might have, to me, I look at it as like, it gave me the opportunity to see with the third eye. Most people see with two eyes, but it was something magical about looking at that viewfinder, and now I'm looking at beauty. I'm looking at the essence of everyone in which I point the, the, the camera, and, and you know, everyone who I point the camera to, I just saw something special within everybody, regardless of who they were. How long were you, did you use that camera for? Do you remember? For about maybe two years. Sort of the end of the two years, you, you probably you felt like I need to move on to something else. I'm getting better at this, and I want to see better in myself. What was the next camera after that? A Canon AE-1. I think you still have a Canon, right? Yes, I do. I've been with <laughs> Canon since that time. 
And is it is that something your father had also? Not at all. He was he was anti-canon. You know, he, he was appalled when I came home with a canon AE one because he believed in Nikon, and I understood that. I didn't I didn't understand it then because it was only you know the canon was what I was able to afford at that time. So, right, for so the non photographers, explain the difference in both you know both companies as far as what they what they emphasize in their. The, the images, what what kind of images do you get from, from both of those? I mean, both cameras are really top of the line. Those are really noted names, you know, with great reputations. But it was something about the Nikon, the, the, the quality, the, the lens quality was sharper. And I didn't really realize that until later on when people look at my work and they can tell that I shot with a Canon or something that was inferior because the, the Nikon was razor sharp. It was a durable camera. A lot of war uh, photographers used it. So it had a really solid reputation going back to World War II. Wow. So that made it strong. And I guess with my father going to photography school, that was a, cam a camera that was recommended. So, and, and again, when I look at my images now, I see they're not that sharp. I was happy with it because it was a step up from the Instamatic. But with his sharp eye, he, he, he saw the distinction. And he was an adamant Nikon man. And for whatever reason, I never got, I, I got, I would get a Nikon later on in the 1990s for a moment. But I really understand, I regret now not taking his advice and getting that Nikon. But wait, 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 hold on. So why didn't you stay with the Nikon? I don't know, because I was just with Canon. It, it felt good to me. You know, when you've been using something for so long, you know, you know how it works. And when I started, when I tried Nikon, because my, my, my brother was a Nikon man, it felt different. So I, I went with what I was comfortable with. Being I was using Canon for so long, you know, I was comfortable with it and it worked for me. And so how, how did you, you said that it, it's not, the, the Nikon is it's a better, it's a, it's a sharper image. Yes, at that how, time. So you're saying that, you said that Canon has improved. I vastly. think today they one in the same, you know, you know, it's still a debate. But I think personally for me, with what I'm using, it works for me, and, and I'm happy with the results. But you have people who were raised in a Nikon. That, that belief is still there amongst a lot of Nikon users. I mean, they're very adamant about it. They've been using Nikon for like 20, 30 years. And again, I understand that. And the okay. uh, only reason I'm using Canon because, you know, it's really because I traded a couple of prints to get the camera. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm going to go back to the book. There's this picture of this woman here yes. in the subway, that is not typically... The subject of a lot of photographers, a woman that dark skin, mm. a, da a woman who is beautiful and, you know, her skin is flawless. What is your what is your feeling now that you're seeing that image? Everything that you described, you know, when I saw her, you know, I felt it as a photographer. I had the ability to make people feel good. So when I saw dark skin sisters off knowing what they had to go through, you know, the discrimination, you know, and, and, and the pain and so much pain. You know, I had a voice as a photographer and I wanted to say, excuse me, sister, but all due respect, you are so beautiful. Your skin is flawless. You know, you are a queen. I had an opportunity to tell them that. And that's what it was about with me. It wasn't really about the photograph. It was about inspiring people, making them feel good. And the camera gave me that power to do that because no one else was doing it at that time you know it was rare to have a person take your photograph in fact if someone did it was you you know only people that had cameras back then were really a, the tourists or maybe a professional photographer they were very rare so what i was doing was something that you know i, I thought was kind of new 
and and I was a conscious brother at that time. So the camera gave me a voice to let people know they were beautiful, both men, men and women. You know, when I saw the brothers, man, when I see you brothers, I see hope. I see the future. No one was telling people that. I was just, I, I, I didn't want to interject, but I was really, I was literally, I always thought that anytime, any more of a close-up image of, of any of your pictures, you could even see it. This isn't even part, but this guy's yeah. face, in the same way, it says the same thing. There's the sense of pride that, and like you said, that... Maybe in the community, in their close-knit community, someone made them feel good. Maybe not. But generally speaking, they were in a world that wasn't telling them that they were anything. And you could see on their their face says so much that, oh, wow, you want to take my picture? Oh, cool. Like, there's a bit of insecurity, but also a happiness that someone wants to take their picture. And they may not even know that their images, you know, would end up being timeless. But I feel like just before I gave the book back to Warren with these images, I was just flashing, flashing through other pictures. Even on the front cover, it's just immediate sense of pride with a bit of insecurity, the good kind of insecurity where it's so true. Like no one told them that they were beautiful or, or should have pride. And it totally comes out on their face in, in so many of, of, of your pictures. It's a consistent look. See, that what I that book saw. represents to me yeah. is my journey, you know, returning home from the military with a purpose. And the camera gave me a purpose. That was my assignment was to teach the people. It's, what it is is a visual diary of my life and the people I met. See, people don't realize that they just see the photographs of fashion. But for me personally, it was my mission. Like what I learned from Malcolm, reading the autobiography of Malcolm X back in the day, and it, it really inspired me how Malcolm would reach, would go into the streets and teach the people. And that resonated with me. He would go into the, the heroin dens. He would go to uh, uh, the roads, less travel, and confront his people and teach them with the word. For me, the camera was the compass that guided me on this journey. And I was able to, to do what he was doing in this, in the, to a great degree to inspire people on a host of things. Because it just wasn't about when I would see a sister like that who might have a pack of cigarettes. I said, man, sister, you know, cigarettes is really bad. We got to take care of our health. I was trying to really, I was striving to teach and inspire because I love my people. So this wasn't about the photograph. It was going further. What are your plans for the future? Was a question I always presented to a lot of people I was communicating with because I want the best. You know, we have a saying, I want for my brothers, I want for myself, our mantra. And that was a part of me. So when you see my, the journeys I've been on, I would get on the train and go car to car looking for people. Because when I first came home from the, from the military, I had like a year off to explore. And I would just go into neighborhoods looking for people. I was a fisherman. And I was just like, I was going out there fishing. Fishing to try to inspire people. Because I left a heroin epidemic in Germany. And I saw a dark wow. cloud coming. I saw something bad was coming in this country. Because I came home the summer of 1980. Before the crack, the yeah. crack happened. But I came home during a time in which a lot of young men were dying in the street. I came home to that. The summer of 1980 was a terrible time. You had this mission in your head before you left Germany that you were going to come back. This is what you're going to do. Or you you had more of a confidence in your photography ability that this became a mission when you landed back. Well, it's, it's a combination of things. I think that uh, in my later years in Germany, when I was about to come home around 1979, mm -hmm. I started getting deep. I started listening to a lot of reggae music. Uh, Curtis Mayfield, Gil Scott Heron, my consciousness started to develop. At the same time, I learned about the black arts movement in Germany. You know, there's a book that I read and I learned about Mary Baraka, Sonia Sanchez, and the power of art. So when I came home, I came home with a mission. I was a changed man. And I came home to a war zone. I mean, so many young brothers being murdered. And now I'm coming home, me and my partners, a lot of us went in the service at the same time. So now we're coming and, home. And being, being murdered for what? senselessness sneakers looks girls the typical so how, so how is that different back then than it is now it was personal because i knew these young men 
See, the difference was these were kids that I was inspiring. These are young kids I was mentoring. I knew them personally. Okay. I tried to the best of my ability to save them. So when I went away and my partners went away, you know, people, they failed to do their job and the communities became a war zone. See, what happened July 13, 1977, we had the blackout. I would go in yes. the army a few months later and I escaped that. The blackout changed everything because we went from roots and with the blackout now, materialism became the order of the day because people were breaking in the stores, they were getting the jewelry, they were getting guns, they were getting sneakers. What did you think you were going to do with those images? Well, to me, it was just a testimony of me doing my job. I could look back at the end of the day and say, these are the people I inspired. These are the people I met on my path. It wasn't about showing them to nobody because I didn't show the images until 20 years later. But I really? wanted to have so, a vision. Wait, hold on, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. So you weren't thinking about a, a commercial strategy to sell your photography and make a living out of it? Not at all. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Going back, back to this image real quick, too, I just wanted to add... This day and age, you know, 2015, if you were to get on a train and see someone who looked like her, do you think you'd be able to pull that same image off in, in your approach? Also, do you think you'd get that, obviously not going to get the exact same, but the same, you know, genuine look? Do you oh, think, you know? I'm confident that I could still uh, have that type of impact. There's no doubt behind that because okay. we are more broken okay. now than we were back sure. then. Okay. So people need to Fair be enough. reassured. That's why the selfie is so popular now yeah. and because people want to be loved, they, they want to be seen and recognized. I'm curious, more broken now, what do you mean? Well, crack, crack. I mean, it was bad back in my day and time, you know, with the, with the ending of the Vietnam War, we lost a lot with, with heroin. But the crack epidemic was one of the worst things that happened to, to black people in this country, black and brown people. And it really devastated us, you know, uh, I remember having a conversation with a young woman who was addicted, and she says something that stayed with me. It's like, my God, what does that mean? She says, what crack did, it made slaves out of women and freaks out of men. And I didn't understand what she meant behind that. And I would find and out she, later on. And was she addicted? She, she was, was addicted, addicted to crack, yes. And she shared that with me. And then I realized that because with crack came the video camera. And with the video camera became pornography. And a lot of women sold their souls sexually, unlike the men who might have been addicted to crack. You know, they might have robbed and did things of that nature. But women sold their souls in the worst ways unimaginable. And you, it's hard to recover from that. I remember I was reading a book by uh, Nathan, Hale, Nathan McCall, Make You Want to Holler. And he talked about uh, mm. in Fort Smith, Virginia, how they used to run trains on women. And they would see those women later on and how they felt the sense of shame and degradation. And that's what it did in addition to the mass incarceration, which we are dealing with today, where you had grandmothers and grandfathers and people who were addicted to crack cocaine who needed rehabilitation versus incarceration. So we lost a lot. I do, I do want to add to sure. the whole the... Um with the crack you know, era epidemic, I do always tell people, I did grow up in Massachusetts, but I was born in St. Albans and I lived mm. until I was seven. So there's still that early memory. And, and, and for whatever reason, all of my dad's friends... Or his, our, our, my whole dad's side of my family, they all kind of lived, They when when we moved to Massachusetts, a lot of them moved. We all kind of moved together. And I remember my aunt living in East New York. I remember uh, cousins living in Harlem. So drive, so my points going from St. Albans to either East New York or Uptown Harlem, you know, or the Bronx, just seeing, seeing how crack affected people. And then moving to, I grew up in a town called Amherst, Massachusetts. Love it very much, but it's also very much a bubble. And I remember at, at a young age being eight, nine, or ten, and kids my age, you know, joking about, oh, I'm a crackhead. And I remember being 
so based in reality like that's not how they act because and it's like i remember being four and five seeing that and i love the fact that my dad didn't really shelter mm. that from me like if you see like you know explaining to a four-year-old like what it you know why is that guy doing that my dad's like well that's nodding off you, you know what i mean just being you know so yeah i i, I definitely i i do try to tell people i have an early uh memory of the the crack epidemic myself just growing up in in, in new york you know in the early 80s early mid 80s i should say so i was going to ask you about another one I, I think this might be an influence to you it's uh gordon parks yes uh it's through the work of gordon parks um that taught me the different aspects of photography both fashion fine art and documentary imagery and uh his work was all that how did you discovering him coincide with you coming back to was it before or right around the time that you came back from the military i think it was really later on maybe into the late 80s uh, early 90s i was introduced to the work of gordon parks you know i've seen his work before but i didn't really know about if him I, if i remember you can correct me if i'm wrong marcus he, he directed shaft right yeah shaft, shaft the learning tree so what he taught you was more craft more subject matter to be honest with you it, it, it was both a, a combination of craft and subject matter because he documented the nation of islam the black panthers gang culture in addition to fashion uh the tuskegee airmen mm -hmm. so he gave me a sense of subject matters to explore it, athletes too like joe lewis he had yes muhammad ali so i'm going to show this image this is from your book um seconds of my life and um that image there of that nation of islam yes um young man when was that taken that was taken in the early 80s probably around 1982 that kind of discovery that you had as a young as a young man about islam from your family from your family members how did it change when you came back from the military your note your your sort of view of islam and whether it was either helping or impeding the people in your neighborhood. Oh, no doubt. The Nation of Islam has been very instrumental since the 1930s in, in uplifting, you know, the, you know, black people in, in America. People don't really realize that. Elijah Muhammad and his organization was really one of the few uh, organizations that were able to take prostitutes and drug dealers and, and people who came home from prison and, and help transform their lives. And they were really known for that. When most people would re reject them, the nation would bring them in and transform their lives. And, and, and people have very short memories. They don't realize that that emanates from Marcus Garvey yes. and from in, in a, even, in, even in, a, in a weird way Du Bois too yes <laughs> you know just real quick you know yeah Malcolm X's father being inspired by I mean you, you it, this again the the film is great but you really have to read the book there's mm -hmm. so there's, you really have to and in the autobiography of Malcolm X he delves more into how influenced his dad was from Marcus Garvey so exactly what you said it's a direct line from Marcus Garvey to you know Malcolm X being influenced by his father and then moving up you know to the nation of Islam so that's a I, I always appreciated that you have kids now right yes I do how do you how do you think that your children's generation in appreciating that history do you think that they're aware of that history oh or they're aware within my family they're aware because I make sure that the knowledge is passed on I have a responsibility to pass the baton on to my generation like my father having a vast library and, and music collection I share that with those that come by my home. So my daughter knows. She she's uh, in grad school right now, and she's concerned and she's very compassionate, you know, with with the people with, with those who are, are, are less fortunate and everyone around me. Anyone that comes within my home. I mean, this time we're gonna sit down and maybe watch nothing but a man. We might might watch Three the Hard Way, and I try uh, uh, the Black Power mixtape. This is very critical because I feel that I have a responsibility as an elder 
to pass that baton on like it was given to me. And when I was given knowledge to self, you know, I was I was I was told that you have a responsibility. I'm going to give you this here, but you have to pass it on to the next person. Yes. So I'm as an elder now, not only is it with my daughter, but all of my family members now, because I feel that uh, if we can just do that alone, I mean, we have, we are faced with a lot of problems today. But if we as men and as women can come and maintain the family, because within all of our families, there's problems. So I have to be that beacon of light to pass on the oral history on multiple levels, the oral history of the family, but also the struggle. Because this generation has a short memory, as I was informed, due to technology now. So much has happened in real time. They forget what happened three years ago. How do you, how, how do you feel about the evolution of black images from the time that you first became aware of it, aware of it with your father's book to now? As far as, as far as that sense of pride. It's very troubling, you know, because one thing about the Internet today, you could do an image search and see things that are just very troubling to me. I think that we have been compromised. We have been dumbed down. When I look at a, I can't even watch a television commercial without breaking it down, you know, and seeing the subliminals, the subtleties that are there. When I look at programs like Maury Povich and Jerry Spring and all these other shows that are coming on, even these so-called reality shows, our image has been compromised. And it's very painful for a person from my generation when we seen the pride and dignity when we looked at programs like soul train and and uh a lot of the programs that came on we had pride and dignity even we look at some of the black exploitation movies you know i saw the positive in them you know i saw the pride and dignity the afros and that but what i'm seeing now is that uh sexuality is the order of the day and a lot of women feel that they have to show their bodies you know uh and a, a lot of brothers are different, you know, disenfranchised and not having fathers. They have not been taught certain things. So I'm seeing things that are very troubling. It's going back to crack, you know, the breakup of the family. When I was coming up, my father would look at the way so, I was So right, right now the crack is consumerism. Yes, exactly. It, it, sure. there's no, it, it's that. And it's, it's, it's a visual crack right now. You know what I mean? It's visual crack. You know, it's, it's seeing bad behavior you know to me the visual crack is Maury Povich because we're being poisoned with this stuff here because now conflict resolution being that we see this so often on these programs conflict resolution is you just fight so subconsciously you're ingesting this poison and you look at all these other programs that come on amongst especially the black women because she hates they have her hating each other she's always fighting each other and they keep turning it up more and more it's like what's next but when you have that now the younger generation might sit down with their mothers and watch these programs in their mind now conflict resolutions of fight and tragically with the images now you take out your cell phone and you you, you want to upload it now and share it i was just getting ready to say from my perspective now i'm i get because technically i'm the youngest guy in the room from my generation maury povich is dated it's world star hip-hop yeah. that's now the what you just said take your phone out and film it usually two people of color usually two women of color and it's just a circle of people cheering cheering it on and and they want more you know and, and, and it's more 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 and everything that we we fought so hard for you know in the black arts movement to elevate our image to show the honor and dignity is now being compromised so i have to work overtime you know to try to put out the positive images here i mean it, it's it's worse than what you could imagine you know I was doing some research on images and I came upon, I, I put ghetto and ghetto gaggers came up. This oh, pornographic God. site that shows some of the most horrific images I've ever seen in my entire life. 
And I wrote about it. A nation can rise no higher than its women because I'm seeing what's happening with the woman. The woman is the one that brings forth the children. So when she's destroyed, she's complicated, uh, a compromise. We're in trouble. Before there was a war on the man, you know, he was being sent to war, incarcerated. But now women, black women represent the most highest rate of people being incarcerated. So we are losing the backbone of the family because at, at the end of the day, we had her. You might be, you may not have a father, but you had a mother. You had a grandmother. Now she's gone. You know, so it, it really pains me, brother, because I tell you, one of the reasons why I decided to engage in activism is due to an incident that happened back in 1975 where I witnessed a young girl get beat up by a bunch of other girls after school. And the reason why they beat up, because, I mean, they provoked the incident with her, but she was poor and she was deemed unattractive. And everyone cheered it on and nobody stopped it. So I say that to say that this is what we are seeing today. And it's being documented. No one is getting involved. You even have, when we look at world star hip-hop, people are saying, they're saying it. This is going on. And nobody's breaking things up anymore. So I am duty-bound to lend my voice. And that's what I'm about. You know what I mean? That's That's... It ain't about photography with me. It's about saving the people. My camera was like my trumpet. I was trying to sound the trumpet to say, we need to wake up. I saw what heroin did. I saw what Angel Dust did. And now crack was coming. And as I was trying to sound the alarm, Scarface came out. Oh, and my God, they're getting us with yeah. the television. And we were told before that the devil would be in your living room. And I never knew what that statement meant. It meant through the TV. You know what I mean? And, and, and some of the messages that are out there, the violence that we are seeing in these video games, some of the messages I hear in the music. See, I grew up in the era of Earth, Wind & Fire and, and Philadelphia International Records. You know what I mean? I grew up on a diet of Marvin Gaye, Phyllis Hyman. You know what I mean? Where there was a message in the music. If it, if it wasn't about the struggle, it was about love. I talk, I build with young people today. They don't even know what love is. I was in Minnesota not too long ago and I was dealing with the issue of love. They said, there's no love songs no more. So all we're hearing is hate. See, I'm troubled behind that. People could say, well, you're too serious. I don't really give a damn what people think about me. I have a job of responsibility. I cannot remain silent when I'm seeing my people destroyed. Why is this your job? Join us tomorrow to hear Jamal's answer to my question and his feelings about the documentary Jamal Shabazz, Street Photographer. This is Warren Wade Anderson. Thank you for spending time with Inside the Phoenix. I'll speak to you tomorrow.